0: soccer fans, hello, glad to have you on episode 37 of the Stars and Stripes FC podcast. Donald Wine here, co-manager of Stars and Stripes FC, your source for all things U.S. national soccer teams, the players that comprise them, and the beautiful game in America. It is January 28th, and we have some things to cover. We will cover the women's national team and recap their 6-0 destruction of Columbia last weekend. The men's national team takes the field for the first time in 2021. We will preview that matchup against Trinidad and Tobago, and we will also cover some 2026 World Cup news and dive into the cities that could host as host venues five years from now. I want to start with the women's national team. They took on Colombia last Friday in what was the second of two matches they played against each other. The first one wasn't close, we discussed it last week, and this one was pretty much a bloodbath. Three goals in the first half for the women's national team, three in the second, a 6-0 victory, and it got started early. With the phenom Katarina Macario scoring her debut goal in the third minute, just an exciting, exciting debut start for Macario, and to score three minutes in, of course, that's what dreams are made of, and and glad to see that she has finally scored her debut goal. Uh, it didn't take long; it only took a, it only took two games, but she's on the mark. I will say this was the first match in over ten months that Amuus didn't score. No goals from the Mui in this one, but we got a brace from Mega Rapino. the goal, as I mentioned, by Macario, and then goals by Len Williams, Lindsay Horan, and Midge Purse in the second half. We had two things happen in this match that shut down the internet, besides Macario's goal and Pino getting back on the scoreboard. The first thing, Crystal Dunn. Second thing, Midge Purse. Both of them were second-half substitutes at forward. They were free both Dunn and Purse were playing at the same time as forwards in this system, and they showed that they probably should be playing there all the time. Yes, Crystal Dunn is the best left back on the planet. Yes, Midge Purse is a dynamic talent at left back or right back, but both of them were placed in their natural position at forward, and they dominated. Crystal Dunn with the assist on Horan's goal, and then Midge Purse scored in the 86th minute. This is why you free Midge. This is why she should be free. Seriously. Crystal two. Amazing to see Women's Soccer Twitter lit up the night when they were in the game as forwards. It was outstanding. Flacco, do this again, please. And again, and again, and again, and again. But back to the game, get a load of these stats. The Women's National Team had 33 shots. 33 shots! 12 on goal, 6 went in. Colombia only had 2 shots, none on frame. The U.S. had 20 corner kicks. 20. That's incredible. Colombia had 0. 20-0. to zero. What an incredible stat. Shows how lopsided this game was. And it was a great showing for the best team on the planet. Next up for the U.S. is She Believes Cup, which will begin on February 18th. They were scheduled to play Canada, Brazil, and Japan. But just today, as we record on January 28th, U.S. Soccer announced that Japan is out. They have withdrawn from the tournament. They will be replaced by Argentina who last faced the U.S. back in December of 2014. So that would theoretically be an interesting matchup. However, look to see what roster Argentina actually brings to Leaves. because their main group of national team players have been protesting their federation to get fairer wages. And so I don't expect many of their stars, like Estefania Benini to be included on that roster. For now, though, the best team in the world. They took care of business last week against Columbia, and now they get a couple weeks of break before they run it back for She Believes. Now we turn to the men's national team who are still in their January camp. And once the women were done in Orlando, the men moved right in to take their place as they prepare for their friendly this Sunday night against Trinidad and Tobago. The U23s are done. And Greg Berhalter has combined forces to form a 25-man roster. We'll go through the roster in a second. But Greg Berhalter will start out this year against an opponent whose name still kind of gives American fans a twitch when they hear it still. I know. I was in CUVA. But this should be a match that the Americans can handle, even with several players on the roster who have yet to see the field for the national team. So with that in mind, let's take a look at this roster for the men's national team. The goalkeepers are Matt Freese, JT Marcinkowski, and Matt Turner. Each of them, one of these guys will earn their first cap on Sunday. Defenders, Julian Arajo, George Bello, Kyle Duncan, Aaron Herrera, Aaron Long, who is rumored to be going over to Reading. Uh, by the time this transfer window is over. A very, very busy transfer window. Mauricio Pineda, Miles Robinson, Sam Vines, and Walker Zimmerman. So a little bit of experience, a little bit of youth in this group. For the midfielders, Kellen Acosta, Sebastian Legette, who seems to be in every single camp, Benji Michelle, Andres Pereira, Christian Roldan, Tanner Tessman, and Jackson Ewell. Again, some guys that have some experience, some guys that are debuting with the national team in camp. And let's see who gets on the field, especially Andres Pereira, who has just switched over and finally completed that one-time switch to join the United States from Colombia, And then at forward, we have Josie Altidore, Paul Ariola, who also could be on the move. He could join Jordan Morris at Swansea by the end of the week. Daryl D K, Jesus Ferreira, Jonathan Lewis, and Chris Mueller. So that's your group. There's, again, a lot of the U23s that were brought up are guys that have had experience on the national team. There are a lot of players who have not experienced a national team setup before. I believe there's 10 or 11 guys on this roster that do not have a cap, and some have one or two. So a lot of inexperience, some veterans to get them through the way. We'll see what Greg burhalter has in mind for a starting lineup and a rotation. Obviously, of these 25 guys, you can only expect maybe 18 to 20 of them to make the game day roster. We will pause here for a break, but on the other side, we will discuss World Cup cities for 2026. Which ones are up for discussion? Which one should make the cut? Stay tuned to find out. We are back. And we are now shifting to the 2026 World Cup, which, as you all know, will take place in the United States, Canada and Mexico five years from now. FIFA just the other day announced that they are finally it was supposed to start last year it has been delayed. It's been delayed. But finally, they are going to begin the process for selecting the host cities and venues. We already know the 23 cities that will be in the mix and they will be narrowed down to 16. So to refresh your memory. Here are those bid cities for the 2026 World Cup. Out of Canada, we have Edmonton, Montreal and Toronto. From Mexico, Guadalajara, Mexico City and Monterrey. And then the United States, which has 17 cities: Atlanta, Baltimore, Boston, Cincinnati, Dallas, Nation's Capital of Washington DC, Denver, Houston, Kansas City, LA, Miami, Nashville, New York, New Jersey, Orlando, Philadelphia, the San Francisco Bay Area and Seattle. Mexico and Canada, for those three venues, all of their venues should make the cut because FIFA has said they want at least three venues from each country. So theoretically, Edmonton, Montreal, Toronto, Guadalajara, Mexico City, and Monterrey should be solid. However, there could be a twist in it because each of the Mexican cities could have matches at two stadiums. If any do that, my guess is that would be Guadalajara, which has the Jalisco and the Akron, They are being used in March for the Olympic qualifying championship for CONCACAF. But for the United States, we have to figure out how to narrow 17 cities down to 10. Now that we know the cities, I'm going to go through them and see which are basically sure things, which ones are probable, which are contenders and which I think are long shots. Let's start with the sure things, LA, New York, New Jersey, Dallas, simple. Those guys are going to host the quarters, semis and final between them. Early reports has the final being scouted for MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. But SoFi Stadium in LA could sneak in there. And AT&T Stadium, you can never count out Jerry World, ever. So those three are almost assuredly solid. They have to really just decide they don't want it to not be a part of this final group. The probable ones, I think, are Atlanta, Baltimore, or D.C., and Houston. The reason why I say Baltimore or D.C., there has never been a World Cup, ever that has not involved the national capital of that country that's hosting it. And that includes 1994, which had games right here in Washington, D.C. Baltimore's hope is that they can be included in that national capital region, sort of like the Bay Area. And if that's the case, they have a better shot at hosting over D.C., which is theoretically FedEx Field and Landover, Maryland. If Baltimore wins it or D.C. wins it, I don't think both get it. So I think one of them is probable. But the question is, which one of those? Atlanta and Houston, two top-notch facilities. Ones that World Cup officials have loved. And you have to think that they are in the mix and probably will get matches during the 2026 World Cup. The contenders are stadiums that I think absolutely could host, but I'm not quite sure if they make the final 10 because there's just too many cities. Denver, Miami, Nashville, Philadelphia, Bay Area, and Seattle. From this group, there's got to be some of these that make the cut. I don't know if all of them will, but at least some of them will. And again, with each of them, you have great facilities. You have cities that people want to visit. Seattle might be the one that's closest to the long shot there, but I think would obviously, as you guys all know, would be able to host a soccer event to success with a full stadium. The long shots, to me... Cincinnati, Kansas City, Orlando, and Boston. Of course, I could be wrong about all of those, but that's just the feeling I have at this point. What FIFA's going to do is go to each of these cities, visit them, hear their proposals, and then make a final decision along with the host committee for the World Cup. Cincinnati, KC, Orlando, and Boston are the ones I think have a little bit more to prove to get into that final 10, but easily, again, could be one of these that... End up in the final cut. It's not that they aren't great cities, it's not that they aren't great stadiums, but there's a lot of competition in this group. And I think, really, when you think about it, the only sure things is that LA, New York, New Jersey, and Dallas are going to be it. And then one of Baltimore or DC, in my opinion, because the World Cup is always hosted in the nation's capital. We'd like to see more about what the bid cities are proposing with regards to events, creating fan zones, but honestly, and this goes out to every major city and every host country, they should be having fan zones going for these games. I don't care if you're hosting matches. Fan zones will draw people in. It will create excitement about the World Cup. That's what the big company is looking for. They may not be official, but it should happen to showcase the biggest tournament in the world. So we will stay tuned to this. This It's obviously going to be something that proceeds later on this year, and they hope to make a decision by around the fall time So we'll hopefully see later on which cities make the cut to officially become 2026 World Cup host cities. Before we get out of here, I wanted to make note that on Monday is February 1st. And is the beginning of Black History Month in the United States. And as I have done in previous years, I am going to attempt to bring you 28 stories on black soccer history, black athletes, and other black people making their mark in the game here in the United States and around the world. I also hope to bring you some interviews on this podcast throughout the month. So stay tuned for all of that. You will want to subscribe if you haven't done so already. So you don't miss any of the great information coming your way. And also stay tuned to StarsAndStripesFC.com, where you can get all the latest news and learn and educate yourselves on some of the history that we have coming in during black history month. You won't want to miss it. So for now that will do it for episode 37 of the stars and stripes FC podcast. So until next week, Enjoy the men's national team match this weekend, and take care.